2: Just a quick heads up that this episode does include some offensive language of a homophobic and
3: racist nature.
1: Definitely been the worst uh, couple of weeks of my life. Just an endless waterfall of um, really homophobic uh, and abusive harassment on every social media platform I have. My family's getting it. My bosses are getting it. Basically, my, my worst nightmare in terms of internet harassment has come true so I'm just trying to hold on and survive through it and hope that it comes down soon.
2: Carlos Maza is a video producer for Vox. As a gay man who produces a series challenging the media in the age of Trump, Carlos says he's familiar with online abuse.
1: It's not unusual especially on the internet to be getting comments about my sexuality or ethnicity so I'm sort of used to it but the volume and the aggressiveness and the level of direct threats that I've experienced over the past few weeks is like nothing I've experienced before.
2: This escalation followed a Twitter thread that Carlos began on the 31st of May, the first tweet of which read, So, I have pretty thick skin when it comes to online harassment, but something has been really bothering me.
1: This has been going on uh, for two and a half years. And every time this person would make a video about me, I would wake up to this wall of really intense homophobic and racist harassment on my social media platforms and i was really frustrated because i'd never mentioned this guy by name before i never talked about him in a video and it was happening over and over again and about two years into it i got doxed which means one of his supporters found my personal cell phone number and started bombarding my phone with text messages so i had to like alert my office of security team and my mom was there when it was happening so she was freaking out and uh it's just a kind of a miserable experience to have this kind of thing happening and never know when it's coming or uh, what's going to provoke the next wave of harassment. And so after two and a half months or two and a half years of it, I just got really frustrated and thought, I'm going to edit all this stuff together to show people what's happening and to show myself that I'm not crazy and that this really is that bad and this really is happening to me.
2: The series of tweets quickly went viral, and a few days later YouTube responded by demonetizing the account of Steven Crowder, the conservative commentator whose racist and homophobic slurs Carlos had mentioned in his
3: thread. And that is the weapon that they wield against people who make money off YouTube, where they basically go, "Okay, no, now you can't make money off us. You and we no longer want to be seen effectively as business partners with you.
2: YouTube also updated its hate speech guidelines by, quote, specifically prohibiting videos alleging that a group is superior in order to justify discrimination, segregation, or exclusion based on qualities like age, gender, race, caste, religion, sexual orientation, or veteran status. But there were many, including Carlos, who said that YouTube's response didn't go far enough and that it wouldn't stop people from using hate speech on the platform.
1: If you want to use hate speech, if you want to use slurs, it just needs to be sandwiched in between non-hateful political commentary. It just can't be the main focus of your video, which is not an anti-harassment policy, it is an instruction manual for how to harass.
2: I'm Jordan Erica Webber, and this week, I look at why some argue that YouTube needs to do more to protect minorities on their platform. This is Chips With Everything. What are some of the things that he said about you in the videos?
1: Uh, he's called me a lispy queer, uh, gay sprite, which I guess is like a different way of saying a fairy. He's called me a gay Mexican. I'm not Mexican, I'm Cuban. He's called me a gay v-neck. He's made fun of my body and hand motions. He routinely mocks my voice for being too effeminate. He's called me a tranny. He's called me an anchor baby. I mean, the same things you'd expect to hear from any bully in an unregulated high school playground um, except now it's a grown man with four million subscribers saying it.
2: Right because it's not just the content of these videos right it's the the followers. Um, What else have the videos prompted that has caused you further harm?
1: Yeah I mean every time he posts one I wake up and log on to Twitter or Facebook or Instagram and just see a wall of Uh, His followers calling me uh, a faggot or a Mexican or a beaner or mirroring the kind of language he uses on his show and it's before this it was some emails too and it's direct messages on my platforms Um, a lot of his followers Come directly onto the comment section of our videos so what beforehand would be like a pretty cool discussion between um, our subscribers about the merits of the argument I was making end up just becoming this cesspool of um, vitriol and bigotry and that's just the stuff that doesn't get caught by our comment filters and my coworkers see it my bosses see it um, people who like my series see it it's degrading and exhausting and that's the point of this kind of abuse to really burn you out and make you stop wanting to produce content on the platform because the price of, pl- of speaking is too high
2: despite the abuse that carlos was getting from stephen crowder and his fans carlos's twitter thread was aimed not at them but at the platform that hosted crowder's account
1: yeah, my, my thread was aimed at YouTube because there's going to be people like Crowder forever. There will always be bullies like him. There will always be bigots like him. What's new about this isn't that there's someone being a jerk. What is new is that there's this platform now called YouTube that gives jerks like this a place to publish their hate speech and then uses incredibly powerful technology to recommend that hate speech to new people who... YouTube thinks might be persuaded by it, and helps these bad actors build an audience, and then pays these bad actors a cut of ad revenue. And that's what's new and unusual. YouTube gives the bullies that people spent their lives trying to run away from a megaphone so they can chase us into adulthood.
2: 24 hours after his original post, Carlos tweeted that YouTube had yet to respond. Crowder and his fans, however, did not wait so long.
1: Since that happened, Crowder has made video after video after video accusing me of being an NBC plant, accusing me of being a fascist, accusing me of trying to shut down an independent creator, accusing me of not actually being offended by this stuff and describing his use of slurs as friendly ribbing. And uh, that has, to nobody's surprise, unleashed a whole other avalanche of harassment and abuse. It's, it's what triggered all the death threats. It's what's made all my social media platforms totally unusable. He has essentially spent day after day describing me as this sinister threat to free speech and this radical left-wing activist who just wants to shut down a lowly, defenseless, defenseless independent creator.
2: So, Dune. Not exactly a great month for YouTube, was it?
3: No, no, it wasn't. They um, managed to interrupt a furore that they created with a furore that they created and kind of in this furor reception, kind of
2: screwed up. Alex Hearn is The Guardian's UK tech editor, and I invited him into the studio to talk us through the aftermath of Carlos's Twitter thread.
3: The, the clip show that he put together, as it were, of um, all of Crowder's attacks on him was compelling and it was clear from the off that he had a point and that YouTube's policies were failing him.
2: On the 5th of June, YouTube did respond to Carlos's tweets publicly for the first time. Carlos says they had previously sent him a direct message to ask for evidence of the abuse that he accused Crowder of carrying out. When Carlos sent the evidence he had, he didn't hear back from YouTube until they tweeted their public response. I asked Alex if YouTube has a step-by-step guide for how they deal with complaints like this.
3: They have a very public system of what happens when you issue a flag, when you uh, report a video for any one of the number of offences that you can report videos for, but they have been sort of less open about what happens if you have, as it were, a complaint about the complaints. Um, there, there is There is a system that works fairly well and that YouTube has been fairly open for for say flagging a video that contains nudity that wasn't caught up by the machine learning filters that are supposed to flag for nudity and you know we we know how that works that's very elaborated on it's this meta tier it's when you kind of have gone through the system and you've got a rejection complaining about that appealing effectively doesn't have any clear public system for how it should progress.
2: And what was YouTube's original response to Carlos?
3: YouTube's original response was essentially, we've looked and there's nothing wrong here. They said that it didn't meet the requirements to take the videos down. At the same time they were telling journalists a little bit more than they were saying in public and the uh, technology news site gizmodo actually made the rare decision to publish what they'd been told on background and there youtube went into a bit more detail about the fact that they didn't think it counted as harassment basically because the videos were not focused on carlos essentially they thought that this should be treated as comedy and that comedy is sometimes mean about people but being mean about people is not in itself harassment. And YouTube brought up, like, look at American late night TV shows where they are mean about Donald Trump all the time. Would you want us to knock those off our platform? No, you wouldn't. Well, we have to be uh, uniform. We have to treat everyone the same way.
2: In a four-part tweet, YouTube said, quote, our team spent the last few days conducting an in-depth review of the videos flagged to us. And while we found language that was clearly hurtful, the videos as posted don't violate our policies. Carlos was not surprised with this response.
1: My brain wasn't surprised. I had already said, you know, YouTube's not going to do anything about it. But my gut still was. Like, there's this bullied gay teenager that still lives inside of me that was just, like, hoping that the teacher would intervene and say, yeah, this is wrong. And I had some hope that I could appeal to YouTube's better angels. And... YouTube just didn't have better angels.
2: Despite it taking six days for YouTube to respond to Carlos's original post, just a few hours later they posted a new tweet.
3: And They did take action against Crowder. They used demonetization as a cudgel and that is the weapon that they wield against people who make money off YouTube where they basically go, OK, no, now you can't make money off us. You uh, will not receive a portion of the advertising revenue and we no longer want to be seen effectively as business partners with you. They did that to Crowder and that time they listed an array of offences including a t-shirt that says socialism is for F and then an image of a fig and then Gs which was clearly read as a slur but Crowder argued it says socialism is for figs and that's fine. No one bought it and YouTube said you are not allowed to sell this t-shirt on a store linked to from YouTube and still be a monetized partner.
2: And YouTube said on Twitter that they, quote, came to this decision because a pattern of egregious actions has harmed the broader community and is against our YouTube partner program policies. Now, obviously, this will just be speculation on your part, but why do you think that they went back on their decision so quickly? What did they find in that second look that they'd missed when they made the original decision and
3: response? So YouTube had a reasonable argument that an hour-long video That contains 15 seconds of someone being mean isn't harassment and that uh, you know the more you talk the more likely violations there are but if the video is not focused around someone the video is not focused around someone where they then flipped was they kind of went ah but 20 hour long videos each of which contain a segment focusing on harassing someone else that might as a pattern of behavior constitute harassment the thing is I don't think that that was something that they noticed the second time round, but didn't the first. I think the big difference was the reaction both externally and actually probably more importantly internally. This was happening during Pride Month, it was happening while the main YouTube social media accounts including on YouTube itself were decked in rainbows celebrating equality and it was happening while internally YouTube's own LGBT employees were celebrating Pride at YouTube. They were putting together events where they talked about, got together and talked about how good an employer Google is for LGBT people, how it's fighting their corner. And it's hard to have those conversations while your company seems to be throwing the cause of equality under the bus.
2: Carlos believes that YouTube's decision to demonetize Crowder's account will actually do little to stop Crowder and those like him posting harmful videos.
1: Demonetization has never worked. People like Crowder do not use YouTube for a cut of the ad revenue. They use YouTube because YouTube's technology helps recommend their content to new and susceptible viewers and helps them build massive loyal audiences. That is what they use the platform for. And once they have that audience, they're able to sell merchandise to that audience and make a ton of money or solicit donations from that audience on websites like Patreon. And that's exactly what Crowder has done. Demonetizing makes it worse because what happens is these alt-right and right-wing creators are able to use demonetization as proof that they're being discriminated against by YouTube, that they are martyrs in YouTube's anti-free speech campaign.
2: After the break, we'll chat to Carlos and Alex further to see if there is anything YouTube can do to convince its critics that it can be a safe platform for all. We'll be back after this.
0: it's
3: time to focus
0: the mood in the uk right now it seems to me is a huge set of tensions and contradictions and emotions and feelings about our past and we're not thinking very much about the future
3: today in focus is the new daily podcast from the guardian join me anushka astana for the best stories from our journalists around the world subscribe now to today in focus from the guardian
2: Welcome back to Chips with Everything. I'm Jordan Erica Webber. This week, we're looking at how YouTube responded to Carlos Maza, a Vox video producer who accused it of not doing enough to stop the spread of hate speech on its platform. Before the break, we heard that YouTube did demonetize the account of Steven Crowder, the man who had called Carlos a whole host of discriminatory names in his videos. YouTube also announced an update to its hate speech policy.
3: Yes. So they took a very similar line to a change that Facebook had announced previously, where they effectively widened their scope of hate speech to include supremacy and nationalism, as well as pure calls for violence against people. Effectively, YouTube had banned Nazis, but it hadn't banned people who said, look, white people are better than black people. I'm not saying we should eradicate black people. I'm just saying we should acknowledge the truth. Mm. White people are better than black people. They said actually you know what white supremacy is clearly a hateful ideology it doesn't matter if you manage to distinguish it in the videos you post from YouTube from wider claims of eradication of an ethnicity. This is inextricably linked. They also did a few other policy changes at the same time including they, they got a lot harder on what they call borderline content which is stuff which They admit that they don't want it on their site, but they don't quite think that they can take it off. And so they do things like they reduce its prevalence in searches for particularly egregious stuff. They will, in fact, remove it from searches, put it in what they call restricted mode. So they did this with Tommy Robinson's channel, where you can still see Tommy Robinson on YouTube. Uh, He just won't show up in your recommended uh, videos. He will not have any access to any monetization features. He is able to use YouTube as video sharing infrastructure, but not as a community.
2: Now, as you mentioned earlier, YouTube said to Gizmodo the slurs were kind of just a small part of a larger video Mm -hmm. that was about something else. Mm -hmm. And Carlos obviously is not happy with this policy. He thinks it's kind of a loophole that leaves content creators open to calling people discriminatory names as long as that isn't the main point of the video.
1: Their policy is essentially, if you want to use hate speech, if you want to use slurs, it just needs to be sandwiched in between non-hateful political commentary. It just can't be the main focus of your video. Which. It is not an anti-harassment policy, it is an instruction manual for how to harass. It's essentially telling queer people and people of color and really any creator from marginalized group that the cost of talking about anything controversial on YouTube, anything that might merit a response, is that you should be prepared to tolerate hate speech as part of that response. That's just the price you pay for participating on the platform. And that's a price that abusers and harassers don't have to pay. It's one that only members of marginalized communities do. And it's the kind of price that pushes those marginalized users off the platform.
2: So if someone makes a video that is ostensibly about one thing, but includes discrimination, I guess they don't go punished for that. Is, that. is that true?
3: They are aware of the fact that they are not the first people to suffer this. A really interesting example of a way a similar problem has been tackled was football hooliganism, where you have this problem of football hooligans are affiliated with a club. The club doesn't tell them to go and fight their opponents but the club is the only entity which can be punished and actually has quite a lot of control over it. Across Europe, football hooliganism has been fought in part by turning to clubs and going, get your fans under control or you'll face the penalties. We don't care that you're not telling them to go out and fight people tell them not to and tell them if they like you, they'll stop it That approach, it feels like, could work quite well for a lot of the problems that you have on YouTube. What Crowder was saying on his videos was ghastly and horrible, but the really hurtful stuff was what his fans were doing. It was his fans peppering Carlos day in, day out with ludicrous demands to to debate Crowder. If Crowder were forced to get his fans under control or face punishment for what they're doing... That would, I think, have a very different dynamic because that would then result in you kind of having to moderate what you say, but also be very clear if you're kind of making a joke, as Crowder says he is, be clear to your fans that this is a joke. You shouldn't, you know, go out and hate on this person.
2: Has YouTube ever responded on that basis?
3: Not publicly, no.
2: We heard Carlos explain earlier that much of the reaction to his first tweet was from Crowder's fans accusing him of attacking free speech. As Alex explains, YouTube faced a similar backlash.
3: In so far as it has reached general awareness, I think actually it's been received with outrage once YouTube made right, because um, the people who are currently most willing to make meals out of the responses of Google are American conservatives and when YouTube did demonetize Crowder it got a lot of pushback from quite mainstream figures on the American right arguing that this was yet another example of Google's anti-conservative bias and that Stephen Crowder was a victim in the free speech wars. Credit to YouTube that they didn't back down at that point because I think the opposition there was certainly from far more notable individuals than had ever supported Carlos in his fight. Carlos had, I think, a groundswell of support and a lot of support, like I said, from within YouTube. But he didn't have senators coming out to bat. He didn't have radio personalities with millions of viewers coming out to bat for him. He had kind of the tech press and people who are interested in questions of platform moderation, which is not the most powerful group of people in the world.
2: You mentioned that this all took place during Pride Month. Carlos finds it hypocritical of YouTube to fly the rainbow colors during pride and produce videos celebrating the LGBTQ community when he says that its policies don't protect them from harm on its platform but for you as a tech journalist who has covered YouTube for some time is it fair to say that they don't look after marginalized groups like the LGBTQ community on that platform
3: YouTube has a problem that they have brand values and they have platform values, and they are explicit about them being different. Um, YouTube's brand values are pro-equality, pro-minority, anti-marginalization, but the, the company will say this publicly time and again, that their platforms value openness above all else, value accessibility above all else, and that is defined as being open and accessible for everyone Unless they contravene one of a small number of things that means that it is genuinely harmful to have them on it I wonder how much longer YouTube can keep that distinction Because I think Carlos is right and I think YouTube's own employees are right I I don't understand how I don't understand why you would want to be a company that tells its users we are pro LGBT people while trying to please people who are anti-LGBT.
2: So you've explained that there is this difference between kind of YouTube as the brand and YouTube as the platform, and they have these brand values, you know, they're pro-equality. Do you think that their platform policies will move towards those brand values at any point and better protect marginalized communities?
3: I think that they will only move in that direction. And I think, you know, to be fair to the company, they have got better Historically, they have, you know, just recently, just this month, tightened up one aspect of their platform policy to make it better match their brand values by supporting white supremacy less. But I don't think they'll ever be able to get that one-on-one match because YouTube, as YouTube, can't exist if its fundamental principle is not we will host videos from anyone all the time without asking. That That is what it means to be YouTube. And anything that goes against that will ultimately lose that fight.
2: One big question for Carlos going forward is whether or not he'll continue to use the platform. As we mentioned, he's a video producer for a media organisation which hosts its videos
1: on YouTube. That's the cruel trap that every queer person or every person of colour is in on YouTube, which is that it's a monopoly. And we don't really have anywhere else to go if we want to reach a big audience. And so our choices are tolerate a truly mind numbing amount of racist and homophobic abuse or de-platform yourself, shut up and get off the platform. And for me right now, like it, this feels like the only power I have is to use the platform to say this platform is broken, this platform is garbage, and try to use the master's tools to break the master's house a little bit. But to be honest, I've had to watch members of my family sob out of fear about me the past couple of weeks. I had to stay at a hotel because I was getting so many specific death threats about me and my family. I obviously haven't been able to produce anything because I can't use my social media feeds right now because they're all bombarded with harassment and hate speech. The end result of not restricting abuse and not limiting abuse. It's not that the victims and abusers learn to coexist in peace. It's that The victims say this isn't worth it anymore and they leave if you look at any playground on a schoolyard if the teacher does not intervene and stop bullies the kids who are being abused and bullied leave the playground they stop showing up because it's not worth it and eventually they reach a breaking point point. and youtube has to decide what kind of speech is worth protecting here is it the speech of the marginalized people who are historically lacking access to speech platforms or is it the speech of the guy who wants to use the platform to call someone a lispy queer and make fun of their voice for being too gay.
2: You've obviously suffered a lot. you received a lot of harassment before this and much, much more since. Do you regret making this this thread that ended up going viral or do you feel in some way proud or at least satisfied with what's come about as a result?
1: What I feel more than anything is anger. Like I just feel fury that this company trots out LGBT people every year to dance for them in front of advertisers and journalists and claims to give a shit about us and is facilitating and empowering just the worst bigots in, in modern politics. It's giving people who make our lives miserable, incredible power. My feeling right now is okay. I've like ruined my reputation and public image for now. Like you can't search my name on YouTube or on Google without seeing just a wall of the worst possible stuff you could say about somebody. I've, I've had people send fake gay pornography to, to my bosses and say, this is me. This is Carlos doing this stuff. I've had people fabricating fake quotes about me that will live on the internet forever now that I can't take down. And so I feel like, yeah, the damage is really done. Like I can't undo this kind of thing. And rather than feel like I should give up or like this is a mistake, the way I feel is fine. If this is what happens now, and if that's what my life is, then I wanna make YouTube's life as miserable as humanly possible because no company should be able to fly the rainbow colors and pretend to give a shit about queer people and people of color while subjecting them to this kind of insane defenseless abuse and harassment. This is kind of the price that you have to pay for asking them to do better, unfortunately.
2: Huge thanks to Carlos Maza and Alex Hearn for talking to me for this episode. You can find all of Alex Hearn's articles on YouTube and other big tech companies on The Guardian website. But that's it for this week. Chips is produced by Danielle Stevens. I'm Jordan Erica Weber. Thanks for listening.
1: For more great podcasts from The Guardian, just go to theguardian.com slash podcasts.